0: Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. It's Chef Tom Douglas. And Terry Roturo, the chef in a hat. Terry is asking a lot of our two audience members today, remember, if you want to come and join us, uh, keep us company, you can uh, do that anytime you want. Uh, Just go to hotstovesociety.com, purchase a ticket. It comes with a delicious breakfast sandwich and a hot cup of coffee. I'm Tom Douglas, owner of a few joints around town, including this beautiful cooking school, the Hot Stove Society, where we... uh, Tape every Friday morning from nine to eleven, and uh, it's right above Lola downtown, across from the old Dahlia and Dahlia Bakery. Uh, we are in the middle of it, and this weekend it's going to be wet, so we're in the middle of that too. Ugh, uh, good I thing everything's do, close by. <laughs> I want to do a couple of things. Uh, we have been on Facebook for years now, and we're going to ch- we're changing to YouTube starting today. We're having some technical difficulties. <laughs> uh, as any good operator does Sean is blaming the equipment not the operator of course uh,
1: which is very it's like buying oh, new yeah. golf clubs it's got to be yeah. the clubs yes. it can't be me club, it's club.
2: <laughs> my my yes. shot has not improved <laughs>
1: Well, the, yeah, there's uh, – for the YouTube, um, there's just uh, – unfortunately, we're dealing with technical issues, so it's contradicting exactly why we're going to – but it's, no, we want to build out our followership. We want to flesh out um, kind of a, a structure of some of the videos because we have a lot of, you know, um, stuff coming Content, from – Content, yeah. Yeah, not only Hot Stove, but just all over, you know, companies all over. So we want to have um, playlists and things that feature, very you know, chefs and various uh, companies – Within the Tom Douglas restaurant company. And uh, the way we do that is we really actually need subscribers and people to follow us uh, because we need a custom URL. Uh-huh. Right now, we're going to uh, put on our social media places a link, but YouTube requires 100 subscribers before we can get a custom URL. Uh-huh. And then we can, um, people can just. Uh, what does it cost uh, to subscribe? Nothing. Nothing. It's oh, free. It's just um, so so a matter of
0: doing a little. Tech work push the yeah. subscribe button. And,
1: and you do need a YouTube account, but um, it, that's free as well, and that just it, it's a good way to keep track good. of all your you know subscriptions and things like that. And thank you guys, all thank right, you we guys, very first audience <laughs> audience here. But yeah, it, we do want to say thank you all for supporting us on Facebook for so long. We do love that community that we have built, and we do want to see them uh, uh, on YouTube interact with us. Yeah. yeah, that'd be great.
0: Thank you, Sean. Uh, last week we made an urgent plea to raise some money for World Central Kitchen. Jose Andres is uh, charitable organization that was producing and is producing meals in Ukraine and the neighboring countries that are taking in the Ukrainian refugees. You all turned out in spades. Uh we really appreciate it. We send we're sending a check, I believe today, for twenty one thousand dollars. I know Chef Terry, you came in on Sunday to serious pie and um
2: I got my taste of the week out of that.
0: Oh good. I'm glad to hear that. So twenty (laughs) one grand that doesn't sound in the in the world of things if you've been watching the news It sounds like um, a drop in the bucket, but you know what? It has to start somewhere.
2: 21,000 times 21,000 toms is a lot
0: of money. Yeah, Uh, We just can't lose sight. We can't let this thing wear us down. We have to be vigilant and continue our process. Uh, I literally keep my three TVs on at home turned to CNN so that CNN, when they look at their numbers, because that's how they (laughs) decided what (laughs) coverage they're going to do. When they look at their numbers... uh, I want them to know I'm still watching. You're watching. Even when I'm not home, I'm still watching, and it's still important. And I'm, I'm happy that they're keeping it at the front of their coverage. So um, this, is, this is horrific what's happening, and uh, we are going to continue to raise money, donate money, um, be part of the solution, and, and not let this thing just get swept under if, the if rug. In,
2: if in the middle of that chaos they can fight their own fight, we should be able to do it from here.
0: Yeah, we're going to work. We're going to help. March 18th. Uh, And, of course, we feed people. That's what Chef Terry and I do. We're chefs. We feed people. So this is where we feel like we can be of some help. I'm not much with a stinger missile, I can tell you. (laughs) Uh, Today's subjects uh, on the show, we try to keep it uh, pretty light around here. Crunchy, roasty cauliflower. Uh, I've had both. I've had where I get it crunchy from oven roasting, and then I've had it. Steamed with brown butter, which was my mom's go-to. So we're going to talk about the opportunities there. Seattle Times reporter Jackie Variano calls in for a couple of segments today to talk about uh, her, her article on the new cookbook. I have it here because I went right to Grin on You Pancakes: The International Table Recipes from the Seattle Sister Cities. Uh, which is it's kind of interesting, especially now when you look at some of the recipes from Poland and you know the Ukraine and things like that. We've been trying to do. Uh, over the last few weeks. I can't wait to
2: see what they have for Nantes, the French sister city of Seattle.
0: We'll see. Uh, St. Patrick's Day corned beef. Terry, if you look in the oven behind you, I have snuck in a top round that was corned from Snake River Farms, and I wanted you and I to taste that today because usually you're always getting brisket, and I've never had a corn top round. I saw it in the grocery store, so I popped it in the oven last night, cooked it off, uh, and then we're talking about how to do that, and then we're going to taste it, see what we think. Uh, following up on broccoli being more full of protein than steak, uh, Hinkley, what is uh, what's going on there? Well, last I,
3: week, you, well, well, last week you allowed. I put forth misinformation, and Ooh. I feel humble today. Oh,
0: my! That's, uh, she told us. Uh, we're going to talk about that when we're coming up. That just doesn't happen very often. <laughs> where Hinkley falls on her sword? Yep. And lastly, we're going to play Rub with Love Tasty Trivia, uh, which is brought to you, of course, by my spice rub line, Rub with Love. Salmon rub, steak rub, chicken rub, you name it. And uh, the brand new things in our line, including Trey Lamont, who you've heard on this show from the Jerk Shack, we are representing his jerk spice, which is super fragrant and delicious. Uh, my taste of the week I made uh, Greek dinner for my daughter's uh, 30. Do I say it? 30. S- s- <laughs> She's traumatized by this. She's birth- more than 30? 32nd birthday. And I did the classic. I love Greek-style potatoes where you – I bought big, big Hummers, Yukon Golds, peeled them up. I never peel potatoes, but for this particular dish, I've never had it with the peel in a Greek restaurant. So I just peeled them up, cut them into, like, little chunks, you know, pretty pretty big, maybe golf ball-sized chunks, and then added fresh chicken stock that we had had in our pantry, you know, in our freezer, and lemon juice into a fairly low oven, salt and pepper – and big cloves of garlic, and just roasted them. And then, just when you think they're done—wait,
2: I thought you said chicken stock. Did you roast? I them? I did.
0: I roasted them with the chicken stock. So These braised. are braised,
2: not really, but maybe. Were they submerged or were they? No, no, yeah, no, no. So no. that's kind of braising.
0: Yeah. Uh, so uh, <laughs> let them in. They're completely done, and then you let them go another half hour, forty-five minutes, until they dry back out again, and it soaks mm. up the stock, and it caramelizes a bit, and. I just, I would always love these in a Greek restaurant, but I had never really so did they made finish, them myself.
2: Do they finish with sour cream or yogurt or anything? No, no, again? no. They just Nothing. finish.
0: No, just I had, like that. They finish with lamb chops for me. <laughs> That's my favorite sauce. <laughs> yeah, I love that sauce. <laughs> I did have tzatziki. I didn't Lamb chop is
2: such a great sauce.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, what's your taste of the week? My
2: taste of the week, uh, as it's going to have to be the. I have to mention this. When I went to, uh, across the street to Serious Pie, on Sunday to, um, you know, just to the help support the Ukraine, to the yeah. Ukraine um, raising, fundraising. Um, I had a, a chopped salad across the street. Um, actually, we had two different salads. My wife, had, Kathy, had one salad. I had the other salad. Uh-huh. Absolutely delicious. Good. And, and the only reason I want to mention that is because it is so rare to start a meal with a salad, especially it's a pretty hefty salad, to start with a salad, eat the whole thing, and be like feeling like I don't need anything else. This is perfect. I mean, if I would have ordered just the salad and not ordered the pizza right away, I would have probably lived without the pizza because it was mm-hmm. so satisfying. I was like, oh, I don't want to change that. It was absolutely beautifully done. It was seasoned properly, and the most interesting part is that raw vinegar that's in there, the white vinegar, and it finishes and, and brightens that salad to a perfection. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was extremely impressed by the, just the simplicity and the, the deliciousness of it. They, they had cubed ham in there, and um, it was just
0: beautiful. One of the this things is. that I think people forget sometimes is um, they buy vinegars, and oftentimes they buy cheap vinegars, and then yeah. they let them sit on their shelf, and they oxidize, and they just aren't the most delicious. When you finally get around to using right. them, they're not always the most delicious. Trick, trick there is buy the smallest bottle of vinegar possible, right? When you do use it and get it open, pop it in your fridge, uh, and then buy great vinegars because... Really, all you need is olive oil, vinegar, and salt. That's a dressing. Yeah. Simple as could be. Right. And if it's great vinegar, that's, that's what you got.
2: Yeah, and, and it doesn't take much to just really finish a beautiful dish.
0: I mean, All right, up next, uh, peak of the season, cauliflower. We're going to get Chef Terry's take on uh, the big bulb of deliciousness that cauliflower is. On Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We're back. It's the Hot Stove Society show. It's uh, Chef Terry in the chapeau. That's right, Mr. Douglas. That's right. Uh, And uh, Terry, Pamela, our producer, is uh, excited to uh, have us be talking about cauliflower because she loves cauliflower. I love cauliflower. I love cauliflower. I had it all growing up.
2: You know, it's funny because growing up, it was mostly the time we would have cauliflower would be either boiled, simply like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's
0: kind of what we had. And
2: then salt and pepper put on the table and... You know, as a child, it's kind of like, it's not that attractive of a vegetable, just like that. especially
0: boiled, just white and
2: translucent. Sounds Um, terrible. The other way that I liked it as a child was as a soup, as a cream of cauliflower. Uh My mom would make that from time to time during the winter. And that was really delicious because you make, it's basically, I mean, she would do it the same way. She would boil with water. She would boil the cauliflower, blend the whole thing up, and of course finish with some raw cream fresh at the end, salt and pepper, and that was it.
0: That's like how he really, says. Of course, she finished with raw creme fraiche. Yeah, like, like that's with what everything. we all did. Yeah, that's what you should do. Yeah, thank you, <laughs> thank you for that.
2: I want some and right then, now. And then, uh, if you were a little bit later in the winter, like it is now, a whole bunch of chopped chives right on top of that, which should create that little brightness of raw onion uh-huh. on the fl- on the top. That was really delicious. I really like that. But, of course, I moved to America and I discovered uh, you know, a few a few they years so ago. Nice. Roasting vegetables like this is actually doing them a great favor.
0: Yeah, you are really enhancing. You're like so much changing. It's like putting a, a, a tux on a, yeah, on a person. Yeah. Like you're <laughs> dressing them up. It's like nobody's business.
2: I mean, it's really like, you know, you go from frumpy to really dressed up to the T. I,
0: I will say from frumpy, my mom always cooked the whole cauliflower head. Either steamed or boiled, I can't remember which she did. My guess is boiled. Yeah, go and boil it, and then pulled them out and did poured brown butter over the top. So oh, nice. that was that was the best part of her. That's cauliflower. That's good. Yeah,
2: that's a good actually. It's a good technique. Yeah. I like that.
0: So roasting cauliflower, I uh, we do it all the time, as you know, and I'm sure you do. But my simple technique is I I cut it up. I try not to get rid of too much of the stem because it roasts. Right beautifully right. Right. if you're using it like as a crudite with raw cauliflower you have to get rid of the stem right but when you're roasting don't don't cut it all out you know see where see where it can go because with roasting a vegetable you're taking it all the way to done and then you're taking it another half hour or two right. when it re um it dehydrates and becomes almost crunchy and
2: then it becomes crispy yeah no absolutely yeah. i mean a crispy crispy little heads of cauliflower coming out of the oven is a beautiful thing My favorite way is also to make a nice dry rub to go with that because that really, really enhances the flavor. And not a rub that, you know, I think the perfect rub would be your taco
0: rub. Uh huh. But Um, you can't put it on in the beginning.
2: No, 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 no. You put it at the end. You put it like maybe 10 minutes. Five minutes. Five minutes before you take the cauliflower out. So you wait till they're beautiful. First, I take all the cauliflower florets, toss them in the bowl with a little bit of olive oil, salt, and Mm pepper. Put that in the oven on the sheet pan, separated, not overlapped. Just flat. And then put it as high as you can have your oven. It will crisp up in like 15, 20 minutes. You're done.
0: If you're on 500. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, You can go lower if you don't like cooking that or if you don't want to burn your pan up.
2: Man, don't be such a weenie. Buy a better pan. (laughs) (laughs) It's cooking. It's not brain surgery for crying out loud. Well, I'm just saying. Just use a good iron pan and then, you know, put a piece of silpats and then roast your cauliflower that way. Um, when they come out of the uh, five minutes before they come out of the oven, you put that rub right on top of your cauliflower and cook the, the, um, the rub
0: for a few minutes. So that particular rub, the taco rub, is lemony, limey. That's why I like it. It's got it. four different kinds of dried, uh, mild chili powders. Talking about perkiness,
2: that's yeah. a, a, a nice little perky rub that would go beautiful on cauliflower. Serve a nice little aioli on the side of that.
0: Poof! The other thing you can do, and I think people miss out, um, when i'm roasting vegetables i, I kind of look at my fridge to see where can i go here because i personally am i don't want to just eat cauliflower right i like a little bit of this and that so when you're roasting cauliflower depending on what other things you have in your in your kitchen so for example i will c- uh, cut a lemon up and i'll make thin thin lemon slices so it's too sweet. I know you don't think of lemon as being sweet, but it's got lots of sugar in it. It's too sweet to put in at the beginning with the cauliflower. Mm-hmm. But about halfway through, add your thin sliced lemons, maybe some olives, maybe some um, halved or whole garlic cloves, and then cook that with sure. th- that last 45 minutes while you're, uh, while you're doing your cauliflower. And you get the, the olives get more salty, right, because okay. they're dehydrating. The lemons just caramelize like crazy. And so when you're actually eating a big bowl of roasted cauliflower, you're getting all these kind of little taste of interesting flavors alongside of it instead right. of just cauliflower.
2: Yeah, when you mention olive, I've had roasted cauliflower with tapenade, uh-huh. and that was definitely delicious.
0: Now, I mean, in that scenario, did they put the tapenade on the plate and then put the roasted cauliflower on top, or did they actually roast the tapenade then, with the cauliflower? No,
2: they roasted, they, and then they tumbled the whole thing with, uh-huh. with tapenade at the end after yeah. it came out of the oven. Right. Which I think is probably the best way to do it because a tapenade in the oven baking at, you know, 450 degrees would not do very well for very long. Yeah, for sure. You know, so it's probably a much better off idea. You still get the freshness of the tapenade with the zest of orange in it, Um, garlic, you know, thyme, and everything. Uh
0: What do you think about the way cauliflower has gone crazy? Pam, maybe you want to jump in here because when you go to the grocery store now, you see cauliflower pizzas, you see riced cauliflower so that you can make cauliflower kind of cauliflower risotto. Yeah. Um, what do you think about all that? Is uh, By the way, don't... We are, you are in particular uh, in agreement with me that uh, you don't like to manipulate your vegetables too much. You like to kind of see what they are, taste what they are, eat what they are, rather than have them turn into something else.
3: Although I did have great success with making pizza crust out of cauliflower <laughs> for a gluten-free friend. And I think that's contributed to its popularity, the right. versatility of using the substance and structure of it to yeah. enhance other dishes.
0: So how did you make your pizza crust? I'm curious. Do you remember? It was um, roasted
3: first. So it did take the, it, the benefit of those brown edges and then riced. But, of course, it had a nice uh, egg and butter binder. So he well, so wasn't vegan. He was just no, gluten-free. no. It's just gluten free. So you don't
0: use like the cup for cup gluten free nope, flour nope, or anything nope. like that. No,
3: it, it, it had enough with the egg
0: to hold together in a great crust. Cool. And yeah. And your friend didn't walk out. <laughs>
3: oh, no, she she, she <laughs> munched up. Well, right you know, up. it's funny.
0: People are so thankful for the effort uh, that you when when you do that for yeah, somebody. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I
2: think that's very kind of you to do that for sure. I've never done trying making a a dough with uh, rising the cauliflower like that. That's cool. It's a good idea. I mean, I think to me it's great that cauliflower is back in in trendiness world because not the fact that it's trendy, but the fact that people are recognizing that it's actually a good vegetable to eat. And it's also allowing people to eat seasonally in Seattle during the winter. I mean, you have to understand that this is what's in season.
0: Right. You know? So now when you're making a cauliflower steak, which, by the way, there's a lot of waste in, in that, right? You have right. to think I of cauliflower know. as two kinds of... You have to have two kinds of things. Like, okay, if you're going to make steaks, then you're going to have to use up the rest of the stuff right. uh, in something, something else. something else yeah. I don't know, another day, pretty soon. But you have in your questions to me is like, do you brine or not brine a right. cauliflower steak? It wouldn't have occurred to me to brine it. No, it would not occur to
3: me either. And I haven't um, had a, any significant result with it. Okay. But uh, um, many recipes call for it now. I got better result. One tip I read was to make sure your pan was really hot yeah. right. before you put your steak on it. And that developed the flavors more than yeah. anything I ever had. Caramelization,
0: baby. That's yep. what it's all about. Yep. It's very very nice. Chef Terry, we have uh, Jackie Variano coming on from the Seattle Times. And uh, she has also Can't wait. written um, an article about the International Table Recipes from the Seattle Sister Cities. With an introduction by Chef Christy Brown. Uh, looking forward to that. And I want to find out, are, are, like, are our listeners sending her tips of how does she find all these places? I want to know. Because uh, I, I love hope finding she went,
2: a, I hope she went to all of them. I believe we have 37 Sister cities in Seattle.
0: Uh-huh. Which
2: is a huge amount of Well, this of is Sister only City. 20. I think there is That's more. when we no, come but back. You
0: mean about her, uh, the restaurant finds yeah. in Seattle? Yeah, that yeah, she yeah. Does. yeah. Uh, when we come back, that's what's going to happen on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio. Yay! Thank you all for joining us today. Hopefully you're in your garden. We're coming to you from the beautiful Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle at the corners of uh, 4th and Virginia. And we are excited to be here. Thanks again to everyone who came out last Sunday night for our Ukrainian relief benefit. Congratulations feed on your a life, of,
2: Mr. Douglas, once you.
0: again. We're going to feed a lot of refugees with that twenty one thousand um, dollars, Jackie Verriano from the uh, Seattle Times is going to join us, or is on the phone with us right now. She covers the food scene in the neighborhoods around Seattle. She loves digging into stories that discuss why we eat the things we do and when, and in our region and beyond, uh, which is kind of why she's here today because we're talking about a little bit of the beyond. Uh, Jackie, you wrote a book about, or you wrote a, an article about the international table recipes from. Uh, the Seattle sister cities around the world, with an introduction by Christy Brown. And uh, we love the fact that uh, in our efforts to understand what's going on in Ukraine more and the neighboring countries like Poland and stuff, and there's a bunch of recipes right in your book from the areas that we've been researching. So it's not your book, I don't mean to say that, but there's a bunch of stuff in this book. So uh, tell us about how you found the book and what struck you about it and where you're going to go from here with it.
4: I think that like many people, when they put together a book, they're looking to spread the word on it. And so someone from one of the sister cities dropped a copy off at our offices at the time, which unfortunately have been closed due to the pandemic. So as you can imagine, the mail room is completely overflowing with things. And I could not find it. But luckily, they followed up with an email um, and a PDF copy of it which just really piqued my interest because it's beautiful and it's all you want to do right now, right? Is is cook food from other places because you're tired of cooking the same five recipes at your house, or at
0: least I am. <laughs> exactly
3: True that. And it's a,
2: a, breath of, f- fr- a breath of fresh air. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: You know, with the lack of travel, I, I know people are getting back on the road, but now with the war in Ukraine, uh, it's going to inhibit travel once again a bit, it seems to me, but uh This is a great way to cruise the world without leaving your home.
4: Oh, that's so true. And I mean, I have two young daughters. We're not getting on a plane. We're not going anywhere right now, especially overseas. And some of these cities I have been to in the past. I mean, I spent a few weeks in Christchurch in New Zealand, which is one of our sister cities, which I didn't know that before this. And it's just such a cool way to learn something new. I think the, the intros to each chapter have a little bit about Seattle's specific relationship, what these cities are known for. So you're learning while you're cooking, which is something
0: I really love to do. Absolutely. So uh, what chapters or what sister cities most intrigued you?
4: The Kobe chapter I thought was really cool. You know, honestly, you can't, now I'm like looking through the book while we're talking. Uh, the Reykjavik chapter the ireland the galway chapter i think they got all of those recipes from a chef in ireland so Mm -hmm. it was neat to see how they did a mix of more home style recipes but also more kind of chefy recipes so it really appeals to a bunch of different levels of comfort i would say Uh in the kitchen so you can stretch yourself but you can also find something that's Really easy and within your reach if you're a novice.
0: Cook. In the world today, uh, Chef Terry, you know this. Uh, in the world today, it used to be to trying to accomplish some of these recipes. You couldn't find the ingredients. Right. That is not the case anymore. That's you not can your find excu-
2: that can be your excuse. No more excuses about that. <laughs> not, in the, not in Seattle.
0: Right. Yeah, in some
2: places maybe, but not in Seattle. You don't have the excuses. You can't find the ingredients. I mean, I'm pretty sure that you take the Cambodian section in there and you're going to find the you're going to find all the ingredients in Chinatown or in little Vietnam. You're going to find all these ingredients. So that's not an excuse anymore for sure. But I think it's really cool that somebody compiles all those different countries, all those different places around the world. First of all, it's pretty cool in Seattle as 21 sister city. That's pretty amazing. That's, a, that's a, good, a, a good show of faith for the rest of the world. But also I think it's very nice because it's so diversified. I mean, literally all these countries are far apart between ireland and indonesia and france and you know i mean it's pretty cool it's uh-huh. very very interesting and i'm glad somebody's compiling all these recipes
0: i'm going to read to you what christy brown said from her introduction and in my opinion sister cities are most important for one sole reason to help us know that we are connected in very real ways traveling that does that but food does it better because a lot of people can't travel right yeah, so yeah. the idea right now if you're worried about ukraine the idea of putting a ukrainian dinner on your table and and kind of getting that much closer to the people of ukraine um is kind of an interesting angle she goes on to say uh, over a life-giving soup that smile of agreement is all we need to feel connected to one another that's right and uh, it's it's so true i mean food is a unifier no words, are, no words
2: are needed, just a nice plate of food.
0: Jackie, when I go through the book, there's um, I don't know, if did you take any time to test any of these recipes? Have you tried out a few of them?
4: Uh, no, I actually haven't. It's on my list to do. Uh-huh. There's, there's just so much in there that
0: looks so there's good. A, there's a few that really kind of stick out to me, uh, uh, Terry. Uh, Indonesia has always been fascinating oh, yeah. to me from a food perspective. It just seems like I love everything about it. From the sweetness of the food to the sourness, and there's just all sorts of good things. But the Buntut Bakar madu. Bless you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, say that. Uh, it's a f- <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: The description is uh, in
0: this finger licking dish, oxtail is slow braised in a sweet, tangy sauce. Oof. Although it takes a while to cook, the results are worth every minute. Of course, it takes and- a little while to cook an oxtail. <laughs> Well, not everyone knows that. Plus, you know, it's hard to find oxtails in your local grocery store, but you can find it in any specialty market, especially specialty meat market.
2: And uh, you'll be surprised how inexpensive it is. Really, it used to be very. It used to be. Inexpensive. It used to be very inexpensive. Now it's very expensive. <laughs> that, is,
0: that is not the way. It's I have about found twelve
2: bucks a pound in a store to buy oxtail.
0: One of uh, Jackie, one of my very favorite. Um, I, I'll call it junk food, only for only because it's really greasy good is Green onion pancakes mm-hmm. and uh, they, oh, yeah, th- I just love them. I go, I get mine uh, fixed down in Chinatown at the Szechuan Noodle Bowl. But um, green onion pancakes to me, uh, either a cheater version like I used to, like I used down at Seatown uh, for my tuna salad, or a real version like uh, Xiao Ching Chao makes here in her dumpling classes here with her Soul Kitchen uh, f- uh, cookbook uh, Chinese Soul Food, uh, they are just worthy effort, and worth the calories.
2: Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and not that hard to make.
0: Oh, that's what you say.
2: Is it? Is it considered <laughs> have
0: hard? It, have you ever made one? Yeah. When? Probably two, <laughs> two
2: years
1: I'm ago. Calling Jackie, two I'm calling, Jackie. Right I'm calling him right now. I don't hear confidence. hold feet have,
2: to the fire. No, <laughs> I, I have made them, and I think it's delicious, and I, I don't think it's that complicated. I mean, the ingredients are very simple. and
0: The uh, ingredients are simple for sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it was nice technique. to see him in this book.
4: Yeah, there are so many good uh, little different bread pancake donut things. There's Uzbekistan chapter has those lamb turnovers that look delicious, and there's just lots of little flaky bread. The the people who wrote the cookbook said they were surprised that just about every chapter kind of has uh, a donut of some sort in it or Mm -hmm. what we could classify as a donut. So if they ever write another book, they're writing – a donut book featuring all the donuts from the sister cities, which I'm hundred percent on board with
0: that. <laughs> for sure. I mean, isn't that true? Every city, uh, every country has a meat on oh, a stick, yeah. uh, a donut yeah. or a soup. A, a, uh, yeah.
2: a Stew. I mean, those are crossover from every culture. For sure.
0: Let's talk for a minute. Did you get a chance to interview some of the people that uh, contributed to this book?
4: Uh, yeah, I talked with Justin, Alan Spencer, who is from the Reykjavik, uh, Sister City, um, and uh, Susan, who is from the Nantes. Yeah, Susan, which Terry, is that close to where you're from?
2: That is 32 kilometers straight north of my small town, yes. 32 kilometers wow. is about 20 miles, 20, yeah, somewhere around there. So, yes, it is the big city. It's my big city of... When I grew up, I mean, going to Nantes when I was a child was a big thing, and it would take a whole day.
4: So, what does that chapter look? It looks similar very, to what you would imagine.
2: It looks very real, and that's exactly the kind of food you find in, you know, bistros and restaurants around, along the coast, because we have a lot of coast um, mm. on the west side of France. is all coast, so um, we have lots of coast around Nantes. So, the, the scallops, the uh, the beurre blanc, which is definitely Um, the main sauce made from butter, obviously, Um, but it's made uh, originating from Nantes, which is usually made with Muscadet, the dry white wine of the region, and then butter. So you reduce reduce the white wine with some shallots and some thyme and a bay leaf. You reduce that down to almost nothing, and then you add some creme fraiche, a spoon, (laughs) And then you bring that to a boil, and then you incorporate a pound of butter in there, and then you get this beautiful beurre blanc. And that goes really well with Loire pike. We have some pikes in the, uh, pink pike in the um, Loire River, and they're getting harder and harder to find. But they're definitely, when I was a child, that was definitely a treat of the area. Uh-huh. Either that or salmon trout. Yeah, definitely a beautiful sauce from the region. And the scallops in the shell extremely common on the coast around there the oysters the you know all those different shellfish
0: sounds delicious jackie when we come back let's have, let's talk about seattle and its little neighborhood joints that's kind of like your deal for the seattle times yeah and uh, we'll jump sounds into great. that when we return on the hot stove society show 97.3 fm Here we are back at the Hot Stove Society show down here in downtown Seattle at the Hotel Andra. Uh, It is uh, beautifully remodeled if you've never been here or if you've been here before. It's gorgeous right now. The rooms are looking good. It's a sweet spot. Uh, We're back in the kitchen here with Jackie Varianov from the Seattle Times, and she is charged... Maybe you could describe what your charge is at the time. So that makes you a little different than Ton Vin.
4: My main focus is really on the outlying neighborhoods around Seattle and kind of highlighting some of the great restaurants that we have that maybe aren't right downtown or in Ballard, which is really fun because you get to meet so many people who are really passionate about their neighborhood and their favorite places in their neighborhood which is where a lot of my tips come from, is readers begging me to come to their favorite restaurant, which I love because they're the best uh, proponents.
0: Don't they realize as soon as restaurant? you write about it, though, they're not going to be able to get in anymore?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I know, but, I mean, it's a necessary thing. I, I don't know. Sometimes it doesn't always work.
2: Have you been to a place called Off Alley in uh, Colombia City?
4: No, in Columbia City, no, and I've I've had my eye on that for a while. But that's the thing with con is sometimes we fight over who gets to go to what restaurant, even if it isn't. <laughs> you should win.
2: You should win that one.
4: <laughs> I know I should.
0: <laughs> so uh, let's talk about when you first walk in. Like neighborhood joints are very different. If you look at the way the uh, the COVID has gone, uh, you know it just wiped out uh, travel and business travel, and for. Downtown core restaurants, that was a main part of our business. But, you know, I live in a neighborhood, and I've watched Ballard stay super busy uh, when you go out there. Do you have a different criteria when you think about a neighborhood restaurant? Uh, is there a different thing that you're looking for than you would say a million-dollar joint downtown Seattle?
4: Oh, that's a great question. I think there are some. there is a little magic in a neighborhood restaurant, mm-hmm. right? It's something that you go to because it's close to your house and you feel comfortable there it might not be as flashy or as a downtown restaurant, but there's something that keeps bringing you back. So going into, let's say local one Oh four, which I just wrote about that's in the paper today. It's a pizza place in Lake Forest park. It's on, there's really nothing else on that road. You know, it's not in kind of a strip mall situation or anything. It's by itself and the owners just, love their neighborhood, they have regulars they see, they have a pretty big menu as well because they think they're trying to serve the neighborhood in a way that can't just be limited to one menu item, right? right. So they've got sandwiches, they've got soups, salads, pastas, pizza, to kind of, and they're family friendly. I think a lot of these neighborhood joints want to watch kids grow up right. in a different way.
2: No, it's totally—it's totally, exactly. it's totally uh, what makes a neighborhood restaurants so amazing. It's—it's uh, it's definitely part of the community. So,
0: and is your inbox just <laughs> full of tips all the time from listeners? Like I know our—we get a few from our listeners here on our show. You must get even more because that's your business.
4: Yeah, I mean not all the time. If anyone's listening, please email me. Always love to hear about more neighborhood
0: restaurants uh-huh. for sure. Exactly. Other favorites or of neighborhood reviewed? restaurants? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: I have a very bad habit of forgetting things because I'm always into what is happening, what I'm focusing on next
0: Uh
4: or what's going on next. Like I was just on Bainbridge Island yesterday doing some research and I went to um, Blackbird Bakery, which I had not been to yet and just devoured this slice of coffee cake, which I feel like is a really underrated morning snack Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um but now I just can't stop thinking about that cinnamon walnut coffee cake on Bainbridge Island which when am I going to get there again
0: that's so funny I mean sometimes in in our business I have the whole six degree of separation thing because I'm old (laughs) and I've been around for a long time and one of my line cooks at Cafe Sport uh in 1985 Left and went to open the Blackbird Bakery on on Bainbridge Island, and it's been doing it ever since. Isn't that oh wow, nice. isn't that wild? Yeah. So,
4: but that's like such a great thing about who you are. You've been able to foster so much creativity, and then now watch how it just blooms all over the city, right?
0: Well, yeah. yeah it's, it's if it wasn't me, it would have been somebody else. I don't really think about it mm-hmm. in that way, but I do. I do think that there are these funny little connected lines in the restaurant business. Uh, that we've explored a few times in our in our long amount of time in the business. What it,
2: happens if you stick around for a I
0: know, while? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Bainbridge Island, uh, there's so much going on over there. There's that fish and chip joint that I love. Oh yeah. Uh, I can't remember. Well,
4: yeah, they just changed ownership, but I just had a fish sandwich there when I was working on a different a pizza article that was phenomenal, and they've got great chips.
0: Yeah. Uh, There is uh, the Bosnian pita. Tell us about that.
4: Oh, my God, that's so good. And I was unprepared for how large it was going to be. I think it says, you know, it can feed four, but that would be four very hungry people. And it's uh, the woman who makes it, she has a video on her website of how she does it. And I swear, the table has got to be about 12 feet long. (laughs) And she is rolling out this pastry that is so thin, you can probably read a newspaper um through it and it's filled um with the spiced lamb and rolled up just coiled up and baked and it, there's no there's nothing i can say bad about it it's amazing
0: is it uh, the business called the uptown commissary uh it's called kitchen sisters i think it used to be called the uptown commissary before ah. it changed and and where is that it sounds like it's on queen anne
4: uh, yeah, it's in Uptown, right by Cafe Ladro, I think.
0: I've never seen I, I go through that area all the time. I was there in that area yeah, this morning I don't for a meeting. I don't, I don't, I'm I, trying I, to I don't see it. it. Yeah. I'm, not,
2: I'm not seeing it. Bottom of Queen Anne, I don't see it.
0: Do you remember the old restaurant, Pony? How long have you been around Seattle? Only seven years, so I'm oh, okay. pretty much a baby. Yeah, so that's, that's long before you then. Mm-hmm. Uh, that used to be right there in the Uptown neighborhood, right. and Toulouse is right there, and it is interesting, especially when you live in a neighborhood, to kind of explore. You get, you start to drill down, right, and explore yeah. the smaller mm-hmm. and smaller joints and meet mom and pops that have, are running things and grandmas. But and-
2: keep promoting those neighborhoods. It's very much worth it. I think it's part of our community, and we have many of them in, in the area, in Seattle especially. And I think it's worth promoting because they need help. They need promotion, and mm-hmm. they need to be known, and they also need the world to know that they're doing a great job. So... They need to be sustained.
0: You're very much, a, when yeah. at Luke, you were very much oh, a neighborhood very much. restaurant. Yeah. yeah.
2: Very much ingrained into Madison Valley. That was definitely a, that's, that's, I love, I love that idea to yeah. have people who come, who live two blocks away, they walk into your business. I just love that. I think it's very cool.
0: And in my 40 years uh, doing this in downtown Seattle, downtown has become much more of a neighborhood than when I started. Mm, there was right. always the Pike Place Market. Right. Was kind of the neighborhood, and then now it has branched out. Certainly, Belltown came along, and and it's just much different than it used to be. Oh, of course. So, all right, Jackie Jackie Variano from the Seattle Times covers the food scene and neighborhoods around Seattle. Thank you so much for joining joining us. I appreciate it.
4: Yeah, thank you. This is wonderful.
0: All right, keep up the good work. Yeah, thank you for your great writing. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> when we come back, let's talk corned beef. I've got one in the oven. I can smell it right now. I want to try it on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Thank you,
3: Jackie. See you later.
0: Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. Tom Douglas here. Terry Roto, the chef in the hat with you. Thank you for joining us. You can now find us on our own YouTube channel at Hot Stove Radio. Check it out and see if you can find us and join us on Friday mornings live. Or you can pick it up uh, during the week. See how handsome we are. See me choke to death on mustard seeds right now. Uh, why am I choking
2: on mustard seeds, Chef? Because we're eating some beautiful, beautiful roasted
0: corned beef you just made. Yep, I put this in the oven last night, and the way I make corn beef, typically I buy it. I rarely have ever corned my own corn beef. Correct. But this week I saw in all the grocery stores, and I picked up one that uh, from the Bancaro Brothers. Uh, an old fi- Seattle family, and uh, the place that I would normally get my corned beef would be Market House Corned Beef up on Olive, and right. it has gone out of business or is, I- I'm not sure what happened to it, but um, it's, it's sorely missed. Anyway, I saw when I was buying my corned beef, there were two options. One was the Carroll, which was a classic brisket, and it was the flat of the brisket. It didn't have the nose on it. Right. The nose is kind of like the fatty part of the brisket. Right. Uh, and, uh, I, so I bought one cause that's what was available. And then I was walking by and I saw a whole bin of Snake River Farms top round brisket or top round corned beef. So corning is a process, right? Correct. Just cause it says corned beef doesn't mean it has to be brisket. Although I would say 99% of the time, that's what it is. Correct. But brisket's getting very expensive. And so maybe they're looking for ways to do this. So I thought, well, let's buy one of these. And I can tell our listeners whether or not it's worth worth having.
2: Well, I think it's a great way for a farmer who's taking a 1,200-pound steer, kill it. It's nice to be able to have other options besides just the brisket to be corned. Right. Because it allows them to you know, corn other pieces of the beef that
0: right. are not sold. So corning is a preservation method. Correct. Right, that is um, not unlike making confit, right, yeah, the, in, in, in France, where you're using fat to preserve, you know, you boil in fat and then you— You layer fat over the top to keep the oxygen out. Corning isn't worried about the oxygen so much, but it's got a salt cure to it.
2: Yeah, and the the salt cure is the one that makes the preservation. And then once you roast that baby up, it definitely has a little bit of salty bite, but the corn part is definitely delicious because it's roasted and it's got the beautiful dryness in the seeds. Yeah, the pickling spice
0: is essentially what it is, right? Yeah,
2: mustard seed, coriander,
0: and yeah, uh, allspice, things yeah. like that is is typically the spice in what we consider or call pickling spice. You do right. it for a shrimp cocktail, you use it for your corning. But I think the important part, if you're going to try and do this on your own, uh, there's you have to follow some rules. One is you can't just use salt, right? Right. You have to use uh, curing salt. So right. it, it uh, has a, some forms of nitrates in it. There's some natural ones, like uh, celery seed has its own version of nitrates that you might be able to figure out from a, you see this in like a PCC, the gray corned beef, right? right, right. Because that particular type of nitrate doesn't keep it red. Correct. Like these other pink salt nitrates is why the corned beef always looks so red. And Oops. it's literally injected throughout the meat, and it's preserved, and it only takes 10 days to a week. So you are probably out of luck for this year, but if you want to try it, it would be fun to try anyways. You
2: can try it. It's still this year. You still have time to do it. I mean, it- you don't have to just eat corned beef on somebody's day.
0: That is I think true. corned
2: beef is good any night.
0: <laughs> Pam, you, you, you wrote down an article from uh, the website tasteofhome.com, and it's how to make corned beef from scratch. And I, I looked that up, and I, that's exactly the way that I would go about it myself. But I'm, I have no problem with nitrates personally, so I, I go ahead and use the pink salt. I don't go for the gray corned beef.
3: Right, I like the color yeah. too. You're <laughs> a
0: PCC <laughs> aficionado, though, so I know I'm going to end so, up with gray corned beef. Getting back to where we, what we have in front of us here today, Terry. Uh, so I've, that's a two-pound piece of beef,
2: about uh, about two two and a half, yeah. Yeah, and you put that in the oven last night?
0: I, I did. I put it in the oven in an open cast iron braising pot. Right. And I put a little bit of water in the bottom because okay. I've always liked to bake my corned beef, not boil it. Right. And the reason people boil it sometimes is to leach some of the salt out of the process. So I like, I like to bake it because I like a little brown, and I also like to keep the fat on, so I like it to get rendered but not go away. Right. Right? You also could do the technique then if you have enough time, enough
2: days ahead of you to boil that meat, if you want to boil it first, to boil that meat and then let it dry out. So... When you try to put it in the oven to get that searing, you do have, you do have an advantage by being dried out. If you take it out of the water and put it in the oven, it's never going to be as dry and as crispy as it does right. from roasting. So.
0: so I put this two-pound piece of top round, which is 99.9% of the corned beef you see out there is brisket. So I was interested when I saw Snake River Farms had a top round. I bought it just to try it and see... You know, when you do brisket, you have to cut across the grain and it has a certain look and it gets right. can get stringy and it's, a, I, I think, a little bit hard to cook. Sure. Perfectly. So I just did my normal roasting on this top round and I got this, I want to say at the Ballard Market or Shoreline Central, I don't remember which one exactly, and I, I just put my, did my usual thing, roasted it for two and a half hours or so, I tried to cut a little bit to see where my tenderness level was, wasn't ready yet. Then I put in a cup of water in the bottom, so I'd not enough water to boil it or anything, but just to right. kind of keep it moist. Correct, right? and to
2: also yeah, give, give some moisture to yeah. the air.
0: And then I put the lid on it for the next hour, so two and a half to three and a half hours now. So was your and was your was it crispy already on the outside? Yeah, it was not? already crispy and stuff, okay. so I was fine with that. I did it at three fifty or so, right? And then I um, I pulled it out of the oven last night. Did my knife test again. Like butter. Mm. So I just put it in the... No lid. I put it in the fridge because I was going to bring it to the show this morning. Sure. So I just now re-thermed it since uh, we started here today. So about an hour at um, 275, 300 degrees. The last 30 minutes were at 175 degrees. I just want to warm it. I don't want it hot. Sure. Uh, And then uh, I pulled it out and sliced it. So what do you think? Well, I think it's extremely tender. It's got no...
2: You don't have to worry about which way you're going to cut it. It's tender. I know. I cut it every direction yeah. to see if
0: it was stringy or not.
2: and It wasn't. I mean, it's definitely a beautiful piece of meat. Melts in your mouth. It's just gorgeous. All I'm okay. missing is my uh, cornichon, my sauerkraut, and my boiled potatoes, and well, then I'll
0: be home. There's no sauerkraut. The, the <laughs> Irish don't no eat sauerkraut. That's German. Maybe or we can Al- introduce to
2: something different. Like, they like, like
0: boiled that. cabbage.
3: It's a word. That, or uh, what's called Co- cannon. Coke
0: cannon is Co-Cannon, what my, yeah, my favorite thing is, uh, is which is got kale or broccoli or something like that. A brassica I want with mashed potatoes that has a
2: little brightness, like that vinegar, that, that you know, that acid that's gonna cut through the richness, so I can eat more roast beef. I mean, more more corn beef. I just want to eat more of that. But right now, I feel kind of like I can't just eat corn beef. Why not? Well kind of gross, but, so, I, you know, I kinda, I like to, if you had some sauerkraut to it, I can hide it, you know, I can figure out how to eat much more and, you know, still feel healthy.
0: I think that the interesting thing about the sauerkraut, not to belabor the point, but it probably came from the delis that were making the Reuben sandwiches, right, uh-huh. were probably Jewish delis uh, with the corned beef or the pastrami with sauerkraut and... Uh, Russian dressing and, you know, things of mm-hmm. that nature. So I would really recommend getting out there if, if it's still available. Sometimes corned beef sells out, especially with people eating at home so much these days. Uh, try one of these tops, top rounds. It's yeah. very interesting. No, very, and, very interesting. Uh, it's super delicious. I mean, it's Snake River Farms mouth. is the brand. And typically I think of them for Wagyu or a higher cut of beef. I don't know if this is wag or not. I don't remember. I don't think it is. It tastes like it could be. It's very marbled and yeah.
2: It's very, it's very nice and delicious. <laughs>
0: so enjoy your enjoy your corned beef uh, for your, your uh, St. Patty's Day holiday. And, you know, the other thing I had recently that I really liked was I had the Jameson Cask Mates Stout Whiskey. So it's uh, whiskey that's been aged in a stout cask.
2: Was it good? Oh, so good.
0: Yeah, very tasty. As long as we're talking about cooking uh, Irish, you can't talk about cooking Irish without thinking about... Beer like Guinness Stout, maybe. And uh, let's talk about cooking with beer when we come back on the Hot Stove Society, 97.3 FM. (laughs) Well, we're all drinking water here at the Hot Stove right now because we've eaten a lot of corned beef. Super <laughs> delicious. This is Tom Douglas and Thierry the chef in the hat. Chef, uh, you ate and uh, you said you weren't going to eat any more corned beef, and then you went back and cut yourself a few more can't slices. Stay
2: away! You get a yeah. beautiful piece of corned beef right next to me, and here, there's a knife on the cutting board, and it's just irresistible.
0: Uh, one of the things about the corned beef, uh, I know you can't see it or taste it, and that's just too darn bad. But one of the things about baking it is that all the spices stay on the beef then. Yeah. And they get toasty good, and, and uh, I like that. Um, let's talk for a minute on cooking with beer. Seems like a natural time. We have a beer class coming up here. How to how to cook with beer on March twenty fifth. Are you making at the hot stove? Are you making crips with beer? Oh no, no, no. On, do you know the menu?
3: Uh, sopping the muffins. Oh yeah, cheddar soup, glazed mm-hmm. vegetables, braised short ribs, and
0: coffee porter cake. I love the coffee porter cake. I yeah. know. We've been making that for years. That's good stuff. It really is. And but if you make a little Irish cream butter to go with it, it's trashy good. Or <laughs> Irish whiskey butter, like a hard sauce. Mm, it's trashy, sounds trashy good. <laughs> good.
3: You've got to get the the recipe that's in the Seattle Times today. It's for the uh, Guinness chocolate hot pudding cake. Okay. Oh, yeah, oh, that sounds good, too. Top notch. And it's got uh, a pudding sauce. Uh, on top of the cake, and then the whipped cream with the Irish cream liqueur <laughs> in the cream. So that is
2: like oh, three Small layers. Small quantity. Remember, it's much better that way. You're going to feel a lot better when you do.
0: <laughs> we have to buy booze, right? And so Irish whiskey, Jameson Irish whiskey, which is the most popular in our restaurants anyway, was. um out of stock for a couple of months, and I kept thinking, "What are we going to do about uh, St. Patty's?" They, so, as I could buy it, I kept buying in more. I now have fifteen cases of Jameson Irish. <laughs> whiskey. I'm a classic hoarder. <laughs> fifteen
2: cases. What are you doing? A special for a month?
0: Well, I mean, we just yeah, we sell a lot. We sell right. a lot. So, right. uh, anyway, it's uh, we've got plenty of Irish whiskey, and uh, I think cooking with the beer and the, and the whiskey and stuff like that is is super fun. So, Chef, have you ever experimented with cooking uh, with not, some of these stronger kind of hoppy ales? Not too much into, especially
2: the section that Pam just nominated. And not so much, no. I'm not a, you know, for me, beer is, uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of um, hoppy beer, like super hoppy beer. Like, like IPAs and stuff? Yeah, like IPAs. It's not, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a weenie beer drinker. When, I, when it comes to drinking beer, I'm a good I like a good uh, Amstel light or something of that nature. You know, I like beer. To be- I like beer to refresh. <laughs> I like beer to refresh. Not, uh, I'm not. I, I don't have enough knowledge about it. The few hop beer I've tried to me were too one sided, and I didn't like the the way it felt. Like I felt like all I was testing was hops, and I like hops like anybody else, but not not like a two by four in my mouth. No, uh-huh. I like I like the idea of having it tamed down a little bit. So. If you have a light hop beer, definitely my style of beer.
3: Well, uh, that um, brings us to an important point about picking the beers that you are going to cook with. And the emphasis uh, should be more on the malt character because that's what influences your dish. And so the light beers with appropriately hopped levels are made from... Uh, a roast of malt that just is a a pale golden color, and then all the way up to the stouts and porters where they've taken that barley malt and roasted it super hard and dark. Those are the things that I think make cooking with it more interesting because, as you said, the hoppiness... And we went a little too crazy with hops here yeah. in Washington. And, Absolutely. you know, it's a, it's a wonderful local agricultural product, but I think we got too enthusiastic. That's your fault. You know, you're the <laughs> one who's marketing Ballard Bitter and all that, that sort of thing. She I know, a- but that does mess with your recipe. So for the successful cooking ones, you want a lower hop, I, higher malt content uh, a ratio. I, I, did,
2: I, I did forget to mention when I talk about beer drinking, I actually love a good um, on-tap Guinness. I think oh. Guinness... Because of the texture
3: or yeah. the flavor? Because it, it is both something Both the texture and the special. flavor
2: are so well-balanced to me. I think in terms of when you get a good one, it's nicely balanced and it's not too hoppy. It's not too, it's not too anything. It's, it's just gorgeous. And the mouthfeel is, of course, extremely filling and, and uh, leaves a nice, delicious flavor in your mouth. So mm-hmm. I, like, I like a good Guinness on-tap not a fan of like the one in the can does not taste quite the same
3: no because it's not dispensed with the same level of uh nitrogen right. introduced because right. when you get that perfect double pour of a guinness it takes a careful bartender right. uh, to draw that pint and make the creamy yeah. head yeah you have to be, it, the texture is completely different right
2: and you have to be patient because it takes longer to pour a guinness than pouring any other beer so when worth pour it. worth it. it oh yeah i think it's very worth it i think it's a to me, that's that's how far I go into that side of the beer, uh-huh.
0: but in it's between, it's a good it, cooking beer though because oh, of that yeah, custardy. Yeah, 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 you, yeah. When when you look at it, you think, oh, this is going to be too strong or no. too potent, but it really comes across more like a creamsicle than uh, you know, yeah. than it does an IPA or something stronger. I did stronger.
2: A, a venison roast once, talking about not cooking with beer, but I did a venison roast like a Denver leg, you know, the the, the top round basically of the of the venison of the deer. And cooked that with a uh, braised it with a uh, uh, Guinness base, uh, sliced onion, uh, coriander, mustard seed, all that you know kind of piquant spice in it, and the stout, and it was really, 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 really delicious. Because as it reduces and as it cooks, of course, the juice from the meat comes out, and it gets reduced down into the Guinness and it becomes very thick and almost like a glass de viande kind of idea. It's really delicious to put that all over the, the roast itself. Mm-hmm. You create that nice film of stout, and it's got that nice little. I like the bitterness of it. it, does not get too crazy or too hoppy like if you were taking a young, fresh hop beer. You know, nice IPA from here, a strong IPA. You would get, to me, too much of that bitterness, especially. Yeah, if you it's cook very with difficult it. to cook with, I yeah, think. It's yeah, hard. it's very hard to cook with because it doesn't cook well, it doesn't reduce. It doesn't need to be really reduced already. Well, it doesn't powerful. need to be
0: reduced. And basically, you're, let's just say you're making a a beautiful pork sausage and you want to do it with beer of some sort. Um, you almost, in my mind, have to... Like, if you're going to add onions to your pork sausage, right, I, I'll cook them off separately right. mm. in, in fat and, and, and the beer right. and dehydrate that beer and then leave the essence of the beer and put it in my sausage. But if yeah. you try to pour like just an IPA into your sausage mixture, it be it's hard bitter. to get it to a spot that is delicious, right. in, in my opinion. Right. No, no, I agree. I think it, And sometimes you, know, you like Johnsonville brats or something with beer, blah, blah, blah. You know how much beer is in there? <laughs> I mean, virtually nothing. You used to have Red Hook, didn't you used to have a yeah. sausage? When you worked at Red Hook, yes, we
3: we did have a partnership, and uh, the percentage of beer that was in there was small. <laughs>
0: yeah,
3: <laughs> but <you laughs> it's could, a then, whisper. Yeah, but you could call them Red Hook brats then, right? Yep. Yeah, but they were uh, beautifully accompanied by drinking a beer with right, them. Right, <laughs> right. That's your better option. Yeah, I think so. I think,
2: especially in the IPA section. Yeah, but, and uh, making when I was saying making crepes, I've made buckwheat crepes with uh, Belgium.
3: That Um, would be spectacular. uh,
2: Yeah, that makes a nice flavor, that added flavor of yeast and you know the whole thing in there. Because those those beers are tasting differently than the IP the Mola Easty. Right. And uh, you put you put the beer like this in your in your uh, buckwheat batter. It's really delicious.
0: When we were going over the fish and chip recipe for Sea Town, we tried every layer of darkness on beer. How dark can we go? And uh, it really is much better making fish and chip batter out of right. a much lighter beer. Right. Um, a Pilsner or Especially something like that. Especially
2: fish. I mean, you don't want it to be, like, overpowered by that flavor. So make sure you carefully choose your beer. All
0: right. We have, uh, we have some time, I think, in the next segment to watch Pamela fall on her sword, so to speak, because of her... Her thoughts last week on the protein level of broccoli. Come back for that when we return on the Hot Stove Society show, 97.3 FM. We're having a good time around here at the Hot Stove Society show. Our former producer Amy is in the house eating some corned beef. Uh, Everyone in the audience has had corned beef. What did you think of the corned beef? Yell it out. Awesome. Awesome. That's good. Best he ever had. That's Recent the Snake charity, River. they all excited about the, the, the beef. That's I'm not nice. getting a nickel for saying this, but that Snake River Farms top sirloin corned beef is really good. Yeah, yeah, no, it's super yeah. delicious. I want it to have a little bit more pickled flavor, but it's it's nice. I like it. Last week, you know, like we do every week, well, most every week, uh, we have trivia here, and we rely on our producer, Pamela Hinckley, to, uh, you know, Design the questions um, to tell us the truth. Tell us the truth <laughs> to look at, uh, not make fools of us saying something that is not true. Really, she, she usually fixes us in
2: terms of when we don't say
0: the truth. She brings it back to no, right no. <laughs> exactly. So um, it was a surprise last week. I think, Chef. I think yes. it was one of your questions, if yes. I'm not mistaken. It was a surprise for us to learn how much uh, broccoli was loaded with protein. Yeah. Matter of fact, I think we learned last week, if I'm not mistaken, from Pamela that broccoli has broccoli has more protein than red beefsteak. Right. That's yeah. what she said. That is what she said. She And we have it on tape, so
1: can, can we can we play that little segment?
0: I don't know if we can replay that segment.
1: Anyway no,
3: I've had it banned. Anyway, Pam, um
0: when you were doing the questions for today's trivia challenge, um, Did something pop up with our...
3: Did
0: did one
3: of our listeners call in? What what happened? It was eating away at me. Really? It just uh, didn't sound right. It didn't... The guilt. It it didn't sound right um, that I believed the trivia that I had gotten from the internet off of my common sense and what I know about nutrition. So uh, I had to go back and... uh, see where this misinformation came from, and it took me down the vegan rabbit hole. Uh, There was a very popular meme that was created by veganstreet.com, do you really need meat to get protein, and they had this graphic of uh, beef versus broccoli with the grams grams of protein Per 100 calories. Ah, there's the kicker, right? There's the kicker. So if you count by calories, uh, broccoli is a superior source, but you have to have. Eat enough broccoli to fill this entire room yeah. to get to that amount. Whereas this tiny little 100-gram
0: piece of so beautiful So a lifetime
3: of broccoli supply so equals one step. It's
0: not quite what you're saying, but it is. You have to eat almost double the amount of broccoli. Triple easily. Well, it says right here, 6.4 grams of protein yeah. per 100. Yeah, triple maybe. So the, finally
3: the madness... Started to get tamped down uh, when another site did a more accurate uh, graphic and said, "Sorry, vegans, it doesn't," <laughs> and yeah, showed the ratio of broccoli that you would
0: need to eat. So, <laughs> this is so essentially, you time. have to eat a head of broccoli. It takes five to um, to eat to to what? How many ounces of meat? It's sixty-five
2: gram of meat versus. Almost 300 grams of broccoli. So it's yeah. five times the amount of broccoli. <laughs> for the most, which, by the way, that's how you should eat. You should eat five times the that, amount of vegetables like- per the amount of meat you're eating. However, that makes it hard for the broccoli to
0: be better. So we weren't supposed to eat that
2: two pounds of roast <laughs> of corned beef there? No, no, it's fine. We're going to eat a whole truck of broccoli on the way out.
0: Okay.
3: But what that um, got me to thinking about, and, and more importantly, is that... Um, People think often that the only way to get their proteins is through animal products, and what I'm interested in is how can we get complete proteins by combining our vegetables and there's all, a all grains or and and grains yeah. our legumes and yeah. our vegetables so. Um, there are thankfully many people writing about it now because the the reason i think we've relied on animal proteins is because they have the complete amino acids necessary to get the to get to a complete protein whereas there aren't any vegetables that have all of them which yeah. is why you need the complementary pairing of vegetables or dairy to get to complete protein. But I, w- I want to see more talk about protein sources that aren't animals. Again, Even though I love a good lamb chop, so I'm not... <laughs> it, it, should be a,
2: it should not be a battle of one against the other. Yes. It should be an understanding on just one quarter meat, three quarter vegetable. And if you balance your vegetable between green and salads and grains, you'll have the complete... Protein, protein
0: yeah. amount. I think chef, you're leaving out a little bit of the argument that uh, like our friend Courtney who won't eat anything that has a mother you know so there's, there's a there's not just a balance about the protein but there's a, a lifestyle choice about whether or not you should be killing animals so if right you, so when you, so you can't just put it in that one box: No no I'm no
2: I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is I totally agree with Pam's um, summarization you need to balance it out because one will not be enough. You know, you can't just eat a big bowl of lentils and go, okay, I got my protein for the day. Well, That might be good for one day, but you can't eat like that every day.
0: Well, it's not even, I think what she's saying is the, the that's why they always say beans and rice, like the Mexican beans and rice. Right. It's the perfect protein like meat, right? Because you have to have both in order to get that full exactly. spectrum. Uh, and so just eating a big thing of lentils, you'll get some protein, but you won't get the full. Right. Protein with all the right mix. So keep it balanced. Learn, your, learn yeah.
2: your protein content. That's an easy one to do. Just go online and look at it, the same graphic that we have here.
0: So we have a graphic here that says complete protein combinations. So legumes, chickpeas, are, are they saying uh, that you have to combine them with the nuts? Yeah. Well, so, they give you diff- uh, different combinations. Right. So chickpeas or black-eyed beans with cashews and pumpkin seeds. Black beans and lentils with almonds and sesame seeds. Edamame or split beans, which is like a split pea, with almonds and walnuts. Or pinto beans and lima beans with pistachios and flax seeds. Or you can eliminate all the nuts if you want, if you have a nut problem, go with whole grains. Yeah. Uh, That works when you combine those with the uh, vegetable proteins of legumes.
2: Yeah, so... Back to my um, idea of one-quarter meat and three-quarter vegetables. Well, just yeah, that's that's the, a lifestyle
0: plan, for elimi- sure.
2: Eliminate the meat and then just go four-quarters of vegetables and grain. And then you'll have your balanced meal. And I just think it's – I mean, to go meatless is not necessarily a bad – it's not a bad idea whatsoever because I think we are overdoing it. But to keep it balanced is more important than anything else, I think. You know, just keep it balanced.
3: And a shout out uh, for guidance. You've heard me talk about diet for a small planet, Francis Moore LePay, uh previously, but that book is such a good teaching tool and was so ahead of its time that they've just released it for its 50th anniversary a beautiful new edition, and it has great charts on combining all of the food groups for your complementary protein. so go out and buy it. Was copy she a today. scientist? Or just a hippie. Like, you love the old she, hippies. She's a hippie. Yeah. But she learned her, she learned her science. Yeah,
0: for sure. And it's now her cool.
3: daughter has taken up the cause with her, and they, they've reissued the book. So I mean,
2: I mean, in the world we live in today, between the Internet and all the information we have out there, yeah, the excuses are getting very much smaller and smaller for people who say, oh, I don't know how to do that. It's like, just go look it up. Just give it a shot. Give it a 15-minute start and then see what it looks like and next thing you know you go well you know what that's easy i can put grain in my food i can put vegetables in my food and you'll feel better i've been having diversified diet for sure you know, my
3: my most recent success was uh chickpeas and farro with
0: paprika uh-huh mm. Ooh. and what did you do with them
3: <laughs> it was a side dish mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it had a little bit of butter and olive oil in it to carry the paprika through. But the combination of the paprika on that roasty farro, and then I, I crunched up the chickpeas. It was-
2: so did you boil the farro first and roast it then? Yeah. Or-
3: okay.
0: Uh, well, coming up next, we're going to play truth or dare uh, with Pamela on uh, Rub With Love Tasty Trivia. Either she tells us the truth or we're going to dare, <laughs> dare on her to do something that she doesn't want to do. So, uh, because we can't seem to trust her with the answers.
2: <laughs> no, uh, I, like, I like the research I sh- she
0: does afterwards. I feel afterwards. violated.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like the research afterwards. Afterwards.
0: <laughs> I feel violated for Char-
1: last
3: week. Charity and Chris are going to join us and okay, be your great. competitors. Ooh.
1: Uh,
0: when we come back, it's the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo 97 3FM. We are back in the Hot Stove Society show. We're going to announce it right now. My name is Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rutherford, the chef in the hat. And for those of you who are interested uh, on the beer class, uh, it's March 25th here uh, at the Hot Stove Society. And, Pamela, what's the name of our class? Stop Whining and Eat Your Beer. Well, there you go. <laughs> I like that. We want to have fun. We want to have fun. And Chef Kelty is going to lead that Food for Thought Tasty Trivia is brought to you by Rub With Love. We make them, make it in small batches. They're versatile. We have sauces and mustard is in our line. We bring an extra layer of flavor to any meal. Be sure to visit these great retailers for Rub With Love when celebrating spring in downtown Seattle. You've got Bartels, PCC Community Markets, Whole Foods, De Laurentiis, Don and Joe's, and, of course, our own joint, Seatown, Dahlia Bakery, and here at the, at the hot stove we have all of our product line uh, in place. Uh, Pam, will you tell people how we play this game? We've invited a couple of audience members, our only m- audience members, our
3: favorite to- audience members
0: <laughs> <laughs> to play today, and uh, what they're going to win.
3: We, uh, each of the contestant groups is going to get five questions, and there will be a winner and a loser. And a usually <laughs> a winner and two losers. <laughs> and two losers. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the the winner's going to get to pick a rub trio of their choice to take nice. home. Oh, nice. Wow. Cuz there's the the line now is expanded to so much deliciousness. It's hard to choose. Yeah. We like to start yeah. with I start Mr. Otterrow. Yes, and the, and easy. the loser
0: has to deliver the product over the uh, over the counter here. Yeah, no, see. that's
3: a uh, I'll try my best. Which fruit is named after a flightless bird?
2: What's a bird that's
3: flightless? Uh ostrich. Fruit a fruit, small, starts with a K. <laughs> Kiwi. Kiwi, yay! I was
2: close. I was, I was the ostrich, and then I was like too big. People nice. see, People don't realize
0: on the show how much Pam cheats.
2: Well, um, I don't. I wouldn't call that cheating. I would call that uh, helping.
3: Number two, what American cookie company makes chips? Ahoy! Think oh. about one of the big the I'll Tell you
0: that <laughs> Kellogg. Oh, Doesn't it begin with Keebler? No. Oh, begins oh. with an S- N. Close. Nabisco. S-
3: Nabisco.
0: Oh. <laughs> Which stands okay. for? Not today. National Biscuit Company. Oh. oh.
3: Number three. Yes. Mexican ceviche is made by marinating raw fish in what type of liquid? Lemon. Yes. Lime. Both. Both. We love both those yeah. answers. Um, Number four, name the spice which comes in pods of white, black, and green. Your options are mustard, cardamom, cumin, or allspice. Cardamom. Yay!
2: Screaming to the lead. (laughs) Yes, right now I'm leading big time because I'm by myself so far.
3: (laughs) And your final one, what is the process of preparing eggs for Caesar salad dressing, called. What do you call what you're doing to the Emotion egg? Emotion. Between
2: anchovy paste and. Before that. Oh, cuddling. You cuddling. cuddle the egg. I'm sorry.
0: You cuddle the egg, then you put it in the bowl. I always cuddle the egg. Yeah, cuddle. I, just, I sleep with it the night before, and then the next day. <laughs> and that little chick
2: comes out and you make egg
0: Next day, I make Caesar dressing. salad out of this. Uh,
3: how'd All you right. do, Terry? Four to five. Nice. Charity and Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Number one, what is the major ingredient in the British foodstuff, Marmite? You have to jump right up into that microphone. Maybe beef stock. Hmm, that's what it tastes like. But it is an element that is used to—it's from Australia—make things rise. Yeast. Yay! Yes, you got oh, it. That's not what I thought. Number two. Adrak is not unique to Indian cuisine, but is common in other Asian countries, East Africa and Caribbean. Adrak is the rhizome of the plant which produces pink and white flower buds turning yellow when they bloom. What is the English word for adrak? Now, think about the flower. Your options are coriander, garlic, ginger, or cardamom.
0: I think cardamom. Ginger. Jump right up to the mic when you ginger. answer. Ginger. Yeah.
3: Which flower yields the spice saffron? You might even have them in your yard in the spring. Right come, now. They're
2: coming up right now. Yep. Starts with
3: a C. Crocus. 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 And now I'm happy to say we have beautiful saffron here in Washington. That's right. Love that Very brand. Very nice saffron. Uh, number four, a pimento is what type
0: of vegetable? Pimento. I'm saying a legume or a bean. I was going to say a cheese. 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 <laughs> cheese. It's from the yeah. cheese. <laughs> cheese.
1: Yeah.
3: A pepper. pimento a is a pepper. And in, in finally, in the Philippines, what is lumpia?
4: Like a spring roll.
3: Yes. Spring roll, yeah. Nice job. You Two. go, charity.
2: Two out of five. We um, had the
3: aroma of corned beef.
0: I know. <laughs> <house. laughs> it's hard to get it past gold. it. <laughs>
3: Oh, Tom Douglas. Number one, what is used to
0: thicken gazpacho? Uh, I'm going to say tomatoes. Yes. That would be tomato. Bread. <laughs> there you go. Uh,
3: number two. That's
0: one style of gazpacho. I'll give you that.
3: Uh, what is the national spice of Hungary? <laughs> Paprika. Yep. Yep. Allspice. Number three. Allspice is the. Key ingredient in which popular food, and your options are... Jerk. (laughs) Yes. Number four. Which of the following civilizations is believed to be the first to experiment with turning mustard seed into a condiment? People of
0: Nantes. (laughs) Uh, Civilizations of turning mustard seeds into a condiment. Uh Uh-huh. Well, it's got to be the Chinese. They started everything. Oh, it's the Romans. The Romans. Whoa. <laughs> I, sure, I think the Romans probably stole it from the Chinese. Chi-
3: okay, probably. okay. I'll do some research. <laughs> You're a fool, Tommy.
2: you got to make that one, or you'll be equal with uh, all right. CNC here.
3: Oh, man. Should I give him a hard one or a gimme? Charity, a hard one. Chris? Give me a hard one. Uh, give a hard one. All right. Let's try this one. This fragrant leaf was sacred to Apollo and was woven into a, a wreath by ancient Romans to crown their champions. Mm-hmm. Most cooks prefer to use it in their bouquet. Bay leaf. Carne- it's actually,
2: that's actually wrong. It's actually laurel.
3: Laurel. There you go. Oh. Bay is from California. Bay laurel. laurel. is from Greece. Bay laurel. Bay laurel.
0: Bam! Declare the winner. It's uh, Chef Thierry is the winner. He gets to deliver... Uh, the prize to Wait, I our... I delivered
2: because I won. I thought the loser deliver.
0: Oh, that's true. I, I get to deliver the prize. <laughs> I get to not only buy the prize, but I get to deliver the prize.
3: <laughs> to Charity and Chris.
0: There you go. Congratulations. You so if you me. want to be part of the show, you can join our community on YouTube Live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. You're listening to the Hot Stove Show on Cairo. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't call me, Beltore. Remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo 97.3, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. Enjoy your corned beef.